from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in. All right, coming up on this uh, Thursday edition, Attorney General Merrick Garland making news this afternoon with this announcement. The extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. What are these sensitive matters? Classified classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, we're going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in a yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. That was President Biden earlier today responding to a question from Fox News reporter Peter Ducey about unsecured classified documents at his home. We now know he had documents in three different places, two of his homes in his office. I wonder if the timing of the DOJ announcement had anything to do with this statement from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy early today. I think Congress has to investigate this. Here's an individual that's been in office for more than 40 years. Here's an individual that sat on 60 Minutes that was so concerned about President Trump's documents locked in behind, and now we find it just as a vice president, keeping it for years out in the open in different locations. I do not think any American believes that justice should not be equal to all. We're going to talk about this in just a moment with Phil Klein, former attorney general of the state of Kansas and now associate professor at Liberty University School of Law. All right, before leaving town today, the new Republican majority in the House passed a measure that protects America's strategic petroleum reserve. They did so by banning sale of oil to China. Draining our strategic reserves for political purposes and selling portions of it to China is a significant threat to our national security. The administration is not just hurting our own ability to respond to emergencies and national security events. They are actively bolstering the oil reserves of our most dangerous geopolitical adversary, the Chinese Communist Party. This is unacceptable and it must stop. That was Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, who is chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Now, even though the measure passed 331 to 97, Now, despite this large bipartisan support for protecting strategic reserves of oil for their intended purpose, President Biden wasted no time in criticizing Republicans. House Republicans campaigned on inflation. They didn't say if elected their plan was to make inflation worse. Plus, House Republicans introduced another bill, blocking action that would help lower gas prices and help consumers. See, the reality is the president's been using the strategic oil reserve that is for, it's strategic, it's for emergency situations. He's been doing it, using it to offset his failed energy policy. All right, I know I played this clip of New York Congressman Jerry Nadler yesterday, if you were tuning in. Uh, He's speaking for the Democrats as to why they opposed a measure that would have stopped infanticide. But, But I wanted to play it for you again. That's why we oppose this bill. Not because uh, we don't think that babies born alive uh, must be saved, but because we do think that babies born alive must be saved. 
His nonsensical opposition failed to carry the day and the measure passed. But with the Biden administration's FDA seeking to turn pharmacies into abortion facilities, pharmacists are now in the middle of the debate over life. And the Biden administration has made it very, very clear. They have no respect for the conscience rights of pharmacists. But Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter does. He is a former pharmacist, and he has introduced legislation to protect the conscience rights of pharmacists and to roll back the FDA rules that will turn your neighborhood pharmacy into an abortion facility. He joins us later with the details. And the Biden administration yesterday renewed the COVID-19 public health emergency uh, guidelines for the 12th time which continues their power grab. Now, this coming at the same time that expert advisors to the FDA and the CDC on vaccination said incomplete information was presented to them on the effectiveness of the Moderna booster. The information withheld revealed that a higher percentage of those boosted individuals became infected with COVID than those who were unvaccinated. That information was not shared with them. We're going to discuss this with Dr. Andrew Boston. And finally, finally, how did conservative South Dakota become the host for a major trades trade conference for transgender medical specialists? A lot of people are wondering, you know what? The answer may surprise you. Nate Hockman with National Review joins us with what his investigation uncovered. Our word for today comes from Isaiah 58, verse three. Why have we fasted? and you see it not. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Though the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, God was responding to the people's complaint that God was ignoring them. They were puzzled as to why God was not responding to their request for help against their enemies. Their question would have been appropriate if they had been a righteous nation that actually sought after and obeyed God, but they were not. They were a nation of hypocrites that was just going through the motions. They were saying the lines, but they were not living the part as followers of God. They thought their religious rituals were a good substitute for real faith, but it was not. Real faith is not a list of rituals. Real faith leads to righteous action that changes us and helps others. Real faith restores what is ruined, and real faith reverences God. Real faith makes a difference. To be a part of our journey through the Bible, visit frc.org slash Bible. As I mentioned a moment ago, this afternoon, Attorney General Mary Garland appointed a special counsel to investigate investigate President Biden's handling of classified documents after additional documents were discovered in his garage. Now, that's three locations from which these uh, classified documents have been recovered. Now, Robert K. Hearn, a former U.S. attorney in Maryland who also served as a senior justice Department official during the Trump administration was appointed today by Attorney General Garland to investigate what comes next. This has been a breaking story throughout the day. And joining me now to discuss this is Professor Phil Klein, the Liberty School of Law, former Attorney General for the state of Kansas. Phil, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Tony. All right. Your reaction to the news of an appointment of a special counsel in this case? It's it's concerning, and it's concerning because of the timing And what was known by uh, Attorney General Garland when he first received the information that top secret confidential documents were found in Biden's personal office at his think tank at the University of Pennsylvania in the Penn Biden Center. Now, we have to go back a couple of months because this was not made known at the time the documents were found. Right. It was not made known publicly. 
But at that time, Attorney General Garland would know that the University of Pennsylvania had received over $60 million from Chinese sources. He would have known that because it was public, and also the Department of Justice at that time or was engaged in, earlier, it was engaged in investigating Chinese influence on U.S. campuses. There's concern that China uses its money to gain entry on these academic campuses and then engages in intelligence theft and theft of technology. So the Justice Department under President Trump had been investigating that, and it resulted in about four prosecutions. So Biden, in his private efforts, started with the University of Pennsylvania a think tank. That $60 million of Chinese money flowed into that think tank at the same time that Hunter Biden is on the Burisma board in the Ukraine receiving funds, and Hunter Biden is negotiating investment deals with members of the Chinese Communist Party. Those documents were abandoned. The documents were narrowed in scope and number, which, Tony, unlike the mainstream media, is not evidence that this is not important. It's actually evidence of possibly a specific intent. You don't, you know, the documents at Mar-a-Lago are consistent with the harried efforts in the transfer of power and the fact that Trump could declassify documents. And the dispute is really about whether he declassified these documents. Biden had no power to declassify these documents. And they were specific, and they pertained to issues tied to the flow of this money. Right. We, know, we don't know what the, the second and third batch of documents contained, but we do know the first did contain documents related to U- Ukraine. Um, we, and, and I want to go back for a moment before we run out of time, you, the timing of this. I, I've talked to some members of the House Judiciary Committee that will be looking into this. My, my, my question is whether or not this announcement of a special uh, investigator and the special counsel was time to try to head off the Republican House from investigating this. It, it, it is, and it's to get the American public off his back, and it shouldn't, because he has not released a scope letter, Tony, for the investigation. And the scope letter lets you know whether this special prosecutor, Mr. Herr, can also investigate the Chinese money tie to these documents and Hunter Biden. Right now, it appears the answer is no. And if the investigation is solely about whether those documents should have been there, you're not going to see anything serious result, and you're not going to get the answers the American people demand. Compare this scope letter with the scope letter of Trump's special prosecutor, which says investigate all things Trump. And thus far, what he's telling this special prosecutor, just take a look at these documents. That's not sufficient. So, so Phil, is this, an, you know, just one more thing that's going to leave the American people thinking, you know, we've got a, a two-tiered system of justice? I believe so, and I'm concerned that it will. And the, the other part of it that concerns me about it is the University of Pennsylvania wrote a letter to Merrick Garland um, this past year asking that he end this investigation into Chinese influence on academic uh, campuses in America, uh, calling it racist. And Garland complied. He ended the DOJ investigation. Based on what you know, uh, Professor Klein, what should this special counsel be looking for? What questions should he be asking? Every reasonable question that can be inferred from the facts that we know. 
over $60 million of Chinese money into the University of Pennsylvania. Tens of millions flowing directly into the Biden think tank where the documents were fine. Hunter Biden over in China negotiating investment deals and secrets of the United States relating to international relations being kept in an abandoned lock closet. I believe you and I can come up with the questions that need to be answered. All right. Uh, Professor Phil Klein, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on to Washington Watch. Thank you. And it, it made reference that the, the, the first documents were actually found on November the 2nd. Uh, that was the first group of documents that were found in his uh, in his office. And it, it, the timeline here is very interesting because that was before the election. Of course, we didn't hear about that. We're just now hearing uh, about these documents. And then the third, the uh, the third batch of these documents just today was the uh, attorney general informed before he made his decision or announcement about it, uh, special counsel. It was very interesting. And in, in reading the press, it's very funny how they try to differentiate what President Biden did. That it was just a, an oversight where it was intentional of President Trump. Really? They know that? I doubt they know that. All right, coming up, the FDA's rule changing uh, chemical abortion pill sales, turning neighborhood pharmacies into abortion facilities, could put the conscience rights of pharmacists in the crosshairs. I'm going to talk about that next with a member of Congress who is working on protecting those pharmacists. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. This is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, the Biden administration continues to seek any and every avenue that it can to push its abortion on demand. Now, you, you've heard me discuss the FDA recently changed its rules to allow pharmacies to become abortion facilities and distribute chemical abortion pills. In fact, uh, thousands, thousands of you have, uh, have already signed the petition. And if you've not done so, I invite you to do this. Uh, because Walgreens, CVS, they've stated, they immediately came out, same day, same day that the FDA announced these new rules, they came out and said, hey, we want to do this. We're going through the certification process. We, uh, you know, we, we want to turn our neighborhood pharmacies into abortion facilities. I mean, they didn't say it like that, but that's the effect. So if you'd like to communicate to uh, to the, the heads of CVS and Walgreens, here's what you need to do. Simply text the word pharmacy, that's P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, pharmacy, to 67742. 67742. 67742, the word pharmacy. You'll get a link, follow the link, and you can sign the petition, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. Well, in response, uh, House Republicans have put forward a bill that Uh, bars employers or government from harming any health worker who refuses to fill a prescription they believe may be used to cause an abortion. Joining me now to uh, to discuss this and more is the uh, co-author of the bill, Congressman Buddy Carter. He serves on the House Budget Committee and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents Georgia's first district. And for more than 32 years, he owned Carter's Pharmacy. See, he's uh, he is uh, he, he knows what he's talking about, and he's trying to help the community uh, of that. Uh, you know, all these pharmacies are, are really central to community health. So joining us now by phone is uh, Congressman Carter. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you for having me. Now, before we go to your bill, uh, yesterday, big day in the House with the Republicans after uh, 80 attempts uh, being blocked by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Within eight, less than eight days, the Republicans passed the uh, Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protection Act. Yes, yes. And, and I tell you, I was proud to vote for that, and I was proud that we passed it. That's good legislation. I mean, uh, obviously, we in the Republican majority are intent on on protecting life, and this was our opportunity to to protect those uh, those centers that have been attacked since the 
uh, since the ruling by the Supreme Court right. of Dobbs. And what we've seen is an uptick in violence against some of these groups. And, you know, they need they need to be protected. And that's the intent of the bill. Yeah, that was the, the two measures that passed yesterday. Now, I, before I go to your bill, I, I want to I'm going to play a clip from uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler of New York, who was telling the Congress why Democrats were voting against the Born Alive bill. And I, and I need you to interpret this for me because I, I, I just I can't understand what he's saying. So pl- play the, the natural clip, please. That's why we oppose this bill, not because uh, we don't think that babies born alive uh, must be saved, but because we do think that babies born alive must be saved. Can, can you explain that to me, buddy? I, I'm afraid I can't. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever, which is um, typical for the Democratic response to this and typical for the Democratic um, view on, on abortion. You know, they say they care about life, but uh, yet they continue to, to push for what they say is is, is pro-choice um, in, in, in to give women the, the right to control their bodies. You know, Look, I, I'm a pharmacist and a healthcare professional, and and we're 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 trained to do no harm. Right. And and that's the Hippocratic oath that 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 healthcare professionals take. And it, it's just um, again, it's just the typical Democratic response when we start talking about abortion. Now, you and 25 of your colleagues sent a letter to the FDA last week because the, the, look, the abortion industry is in retreat when it comes to what they've been doing for years in these abortion clinics, Planned Parenthood. So they're, they're, they're resorting to turning pharmacies into abortion facilities. And you and uh, several of your colleagues sent a letter to the FDA calling on them to rescind this decision. Give us the status on that. Well, we did send the letter in, and thus far we haven't gotten a response. Of course, it's, uh, it's, and it hasn't been very long, but it, in all fairness. But at the same time, um, this is not the first time that we've done it. We've sent letters in before protesting this. Um, you know, when I was practicing pharmacy and I had a, a pregnant woman to come into my pharmacy, I was treating two patients. I was mm-hmm. treating the, the mother and the child. And that's the way pharmacists are trained to to look at this situation. We actually have two patients here. It was my responsibility to warn that mother if this medication would would potentially harm that child. It was my responsibility not to dispense a prescription that was going to have a harmful effect on on a fetus. But and, this this would the way they're treating this is that you're just uh, another cog in the process and you just have to mechanically do what someone else tells you to do it's as if pharmacists are nothing more than vending machines and you know and and if that's going to be the case then they should be you know just replace us with vending machines of course i'm i'm being facetious when i say that but you know when i was serving in the georgia state legislature i passed legislation at that time and sponsored legislation and had it passed at that time that would prohibit a company from disciplining a pharmacist who refused to um, dispense a prescription that they knew was going to be used for an elective abortion or that they knew was going to cause harm to a child. And there are state laws on the books for that, but, um, you know, with the, the, direction that this administration and the HHS are taking right now, we need even more protection. Do you think you'll be able to get a measure uh, through the House to do that? 
We are. I have introduced the Pharmacist Conscious Protection Act, and essentially what that does is uh, it's just um, another layer, if you will, of protection for pharmacists. As I say, there's already the rules on the book and laws on the book that would protect pharmacists, but we need even more if this is going to be the attitude, if you will, the direction that this is that this administration is going to take. But what the Pharmacist Conscious Protection Act would do, it would strengthen the pharmacist's conscientious rights um, when right. they're choosing whether to fill a prescription for elective abortions. And it would provide them with a private right to action so that pharmacists who object to dispensing that prescription are even even um, keeping it in inventory. Right. And when I own my pharmacies, I refuse to keep some of these medications yeah. in inventory. Well, I knew what they were going to be used for. Given the policies of this administration, it's critical that we provide those uh, protections to the medical uh, professionals. Uh, Buddy Carter, we're out of time. I, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, look forward to tracking the process and progress of that bill. Thank you very much. All right. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you, including a link to sign the petition to CVS and Walgreens. Vaccine advisors to the federal government are disappointed, and some are angry, that government scientists and executives from Moderna withheld data throughout last year's authorization discussions for their new booster. U.S. taxpayers spent nearly $5 billion on the new booster, which has been given to more than 48 million people, despite data indicating the new booster may be even less effective than the original shots. 
It appears this lack of transparency has become a common occurrence, which is only eroding public trust further. With me now to, uh, to talk about this, Dr. Andrew Bostom, formerly a research physician at Brown University Center for Primary Care and Prevention at Kent Memorial Hospital in Rhode Island. Dr. Bostom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, thanks for having me back, Tony. Happy New Year. Um, it, b- before we get into this uh, COVID booster data, it's great to see you out of Twitter jail now that the old regime <laughs> is gone. Yes. Yes, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. It's, a, it's a, maybe a tale for another time. But yes, I'm very glad to be back. So you've written about this extensively. Can you walk us through the data that was withheld during the booster approval negotiations, that whole process? Yeah, you know, I'm a little surprised that this story has has taken so long to to evolve. I mean, I guess it, it says something about about the journalists that, that have refused to cover these stories. You know, Tony, this these data, it's also weird how the 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 committee that was overseeing wasn't provided these data during during the hearings about approval because in short order the the the, pa- the the formal paper with these analyses was published back in September in the New England Journal of Medicine um, and basically um, they looked at the data in in two ways if you if you considered the entire trial group um, the the rates of infection in the boosted versus the non boosted group. Uh, were, were identical. They, they were about two and a half percent in each group. Um, if you looked at the uh, group that had not had a prior SARS-CoV-2 infection, so they had no natural immunity, um, they actually they actually did worse with the booster than the people that had not gotten the booster. Uh, and and that really that that result you're now seeing some of these. Um, scientists uh, that I think were even involved with the approval process uh, complain about, but y- you know it's I don't know I, I I'm I'm really kind of suspicious if, if the if the public had access to these data as you know in, in September um, there, there should have been an outcry at least when the paper was published by these same you know if they made a mistake if they were not given uh, these data and somehow they went to publication after the approval had been made. And as soon as the paper came out, they should have said, we're going to reconvene the committee because now we have the results and and this, and this we should not have approved this. By the way, Tony, the other thing is because we're in you know the Omicron era and, and, and the disease itself, the virus itself has attenuated so much, there weren't any, there weren't any um, severe cases in either group, whether they got boosted or not. Uh, so, you know, it's... it's <laughs> Something's not missing, you know, something's missing from the story. Right. And then when you look at uh, the announcement that they're extending the public health emergency for COVID for the 12th time, I mean, am I am I wrong in saying that the the confidence of the American people in our health care system, at least at the federal level, is eroding because of stuff like this? They're destroying it, and and then the, 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 the states, like my state, unfortunately, is one of them, that basically uh, adopt a cookie cutter approach to whatever the CDC says. The, these local states, and you know, let's be honest, they by and large tend to be blue or bright blue states. They're they're destroying um, confidence locally. So it's happening. It, it's a double dose of of of, uh, of, of really instilling cynicism. Doctor Boston, let me, and let me ask you this. I mean, you just talked about this. This research was published in a public journal. Um, yeah. 
So so how was it this was missed? I mean, the they didn't talk about it. Apparently, they didn't give it, didn't, didn't spoon feed it to uh, to these uh, advisors. Moderna experts or their executives didn't want this to come out. But how did this come to light? And, and is there a lack of transparency when this type of stuff is being approved? Well, there's two there's, there's multiple issues. It should have. They obviously, if, if the if the data were ready to go to publication, and publication still takes, you know, at least a couple of months or something like that, they had these data available that they could have shared with the, with the advisory committee. Um, but when they when they finally appeared, I mean, what can I tell you, Tony? I I, I blogged about them, but but uh, you know, the, yeah, the but media, you were in Twitter jail. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, I had them on my blog, um, but but the media should have picked up on this. Why why did it take yeah. CNN to do a story? What was it yesterday or the day before when these results were available in the New England Journal? You know, in in September. Collusion. I I, I yeah, you've got to you've got to say that they're they're just they're not journalists. They're they're basically functioning as press agents for the CDC, et cetera. Yeah, it's uh, it's shocking. Well, I'm grateful that there are uh, medical professionals like yourself out there that are willing to uh, to tell it like it is to alert the public. Dr. Bossom, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Tony. Take care. All right. OK, coming up, gender identity radicals are targeting red states and they really have their claws into South Dakota with their transgender ideology. But what's what, what's behind it? It's not just, I mean, South Dakota's a conservative state. We got a lot of listeners in South Dakota. Could there be some politicians that, um, I don't know, opening the door, helping them out, doing their bidding? I don't know. We're going to talk about it after the break. You don't want to miss this next segment. We're going to be talking about South Dakota and the transgender agenda. That's next. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, if you'd like to sign the petition to CVS and Walgreens to uh, tell them not to turn your neighborhood pharmacy into an abortion facility, simply text the word pharmacy, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y, pharmacy, to 67742. That number, again, is 67742, the word pharmacy, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. South Dakota has long been recognized as among the most conservative states in the nation. I've, I've been there a lot. Love to hunt pheasant up there, actually. It's a beautiful state. But the left has uh, used powerful business interests to really buy South Dakota away from its conservative heritage, at least some of its political leaders, when it comes to the radical transgender policies. And, and, and let me just say, we're going to have a conversation with a, a reporter that's been investigating this. I actually have some personal experience in working on policy up there and scratching my head as to why certain bills that simply protected children from experimental surgeries and uh, hormones that could harm their bodies was dying in the legislature being blocked. Well, a lot more came to light in a deeply reported article in the National Review last week, which outlines a well-funded campaign that has pushed gender ideology into almost every area of the state's governing institutions. And starting tomorrow, the Stanford Research Center in Sioux Falls will host the third annual Midwest Gender Identity Summit, which is billed as an effort to review the needs of transgender patients in healthcare. Now, how did this happen in Cherry Red, South Dakota? And is Mount the Mount Rushmore state merely a trial run to bring these policies to every red state in America. Join me now to discuss this is the author of the piece, Nate Hockman. He is a staff writer for National Review. Nate, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So tell us what you uncovered in your reporting on, on South Dakota. I mean, how in the world did they, this conservative small state become a hub for transgender politics? 
Right. So South Dakota, just to reinforce the point you're making, is one of the most conservative states in the country. By ideological polling, South Dakotans are the third most conservative population in the United States. They've been governed by Republican supermajorities for decades, but almost every single conservative transgender bill uh, including a lot of the kinds of transgender bills that we've seen introduced in a lot of other straight states, you know, bans on men and women's sports, bans on sex change surgeries for young children, et cetera, et cetera, has died in South Dakota uh, over the course of the last decade in their heavily Republican legislature. Uh, and I dug into that and found that a large uh, part of the story about why that is is because the largest employer in the state, Sanford Health, profits from puberty blockers and sex change surgeries and has a very close relationship with the South Dakota GOP and its leaders. And as a result, even though South Dakota... Nate, let me stop stop you right there because a relationship. Now, I'm interested in this because uh, our policy arm worked with legislation there to protect minors from these experimental surgeries, our SAFE Act, and sailed through the House, and then it kind of died in a, in a committee over in the Senate. And as you said, people need to know, you have controlling Republican majorities in the state legislature as well as a Republican governor who holds herself out to be conservative. So this connection, what, what is the connection? Is it a monetary connection? Is it a philosophical, ideological? What's the connection? I think it's a combination of all those factors and more, but I think it's it's impossible to understate or to overstate uh, how how powerful Sanford Health is in South Dakota. It's a seven point five billion dollar com- company. It's the uh, largest employer by a degree of seven in South Dakota. And they uh, fund the campaigns of a lot of Republican leaders in the state, including a bunch of the Republicans who sit on the Senate Health and Human Service Committee, which is the committee that killed the bill you're talking about, the ban on sex change surgeries for minors. So when you say they fund their campaigns, I mean, these $50 contributions, what are they? No, they're they're often upwards of uh, multiple thousands every campaign cycle, which may not sound like a lot to those of us at the national level. Well, not in South Dakota. I mean, you get it's one of the smallest uh, populations in, uh, in in the United States. I mean, it's I would love to run statewide in South Dakota because they, they have very they only have like two media markets. And it's just a uh, it, the population is not very large. Exactly. And that's why a company as powerful as this $7.5 billion uh, healthcare company is just the most powerful institution in the state. It can throw its weight around and it can elect a lot of Republicans that won't get in its way, particularly on this radical gender ideology stuff. What's their relationship with uh, Governor Kristi Noem, who is potentially a, a, um, a candidate for uh, the consideration for Republicans in 2024? Well, look, unfortunately, because Christine Noem really did emerge in 2020 as someone that a lot of conservatives were big fans of, uh, she has a very close relationship with Sanford Health. It's their, it's her top career donor. She's very close with a lot of Sanford lobbyists. Um, and she vetoed, actually, a ban on men and women's sports, which is uh, legislation we've seen in other red states across the country. Yeah, that was, uh, that was very interesting uh, because, actually, South Dakota was one of the, I think, like maybe the second or third state to entertain that. She vetoed it, and then, of course, it just swept the country and all these states. And then she came back the next year as if it were her idea and, uh, and, and pushed a sports bill through. Isn't that, isn't that right? 
Ben, no, that's exactly right. Uh, and she did that because she got a massive backlash from conservatives, including a lot of conservatives who used to be her fans. But I, I reported on it at the time, and I had multiple sources in her office telling me stories about how they saw Sanford lobbyists, including some of her very close advisors, come in and tell her that she had to kill the ball, the bill, because Stanford is close to it. Now, now Stanford Health, you said they're the largest employer in the state. How, how, how large? Well, the, the number of employees that Sanford Health employs is almost seven times larger than the second largest employer in South Dakota. I don't have the exact number, but it is by far the largest company in the state. And it also has some employees who work in the South Dakota legislature uh, as registered Republicans. And then they also have a, a large, I would almost say based on what I've heard, um, oversized influence with the Chamber of Commerce, the business community. They, because of their size, they control a lot of what the Chamber of Commerce, which is usually not good anyway. But on, we're talking about measures, Nate, that, uh, as you talk about uh, women's sports, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Almost every state that's even pink uh, has, uh, has embraced that. But then we're talking about this experimental uh, surgeries that are being done on, on children often irreversible, and, and now more and more evidence coming to the forefront that, uh, of course, across the sea in Europe, uh, England, other places kind of pulling back on this, saying, hey, hey, we got to slow this down. And so many states, Arkansas, other states have, have uh, pursued this. It's dying in South Dakota. It all goes right. right. It, it, yeah. and, and it all goes back to this outsized influence of uh, – of this business entity? Yeah, I mean, this, the country of Sweden completely banned this stuff, which is supposed to be a sort of progressive utopia. But in South Dakota, cherry red South Dakota, it won't happen because Sanford Health lobbyists show up in the state legislature every time the actual social conservatives in the state legislature try to pass something like that. And this particular bill, which they tried to pass in 2020, a ban on the chemical castration or surgical mutilation of South Dakotans under the age of 16, uh, was again killed in the Senate Health and Human Services Committee by a lot of legislators whose top career donor was healthcare lobby groups like Sanford uh, and who were closely linked. Now, has Sanford, you know, they've, they've actually supported, I mean, they've supported people on their committee, on the committees they work with. Have, have they opposed candidates that uh, are opposed to their agenda? Not only that, but they've actually dumped a uh, really significant amount of money into efforts to primary all of the actual conservatives in the state legislature who got in their way. And they had, unfortunately, the backing of a lot of the South Dakota Republican establishment, including Christy Nome, uh, in that endeavor. One of their allies, who is the president of the Senate, Lee Schoenbeck, actually circulated a hit list of about 20 conservative legislators who had been the ones pushing stuff like the ban on the chemical castration of minors. And Sanford Health uh, has funneled really hundreds of thousands of dollars into the campaign to actually unseat those conservatives. So, so Nate, I, I've, you've wrote, written a number of articles. There's been other national articles um, that have been written about this. In South Dakota, is this well known? No, and in fact, I have been inundated with emails and messages from sort of normal run-of-the-mill conservative South Dakotans uh, saying that we had no idea that this was happening in our state and that we're horrified. 
Uh, again, you know, South Dakotans are a good, solid, conservative people. This does not represent their interests or their views. But because a lot of it has been sort of, sort of happening sort of under clandestine circumstances and the Republicans who lead the state aren't broadcasting that they're doing this, the average South Dakotan uh, often isn't aware. And I think they would be horrified and they are horrified when they find out that it is. So, so Nate, this uh, conference that's taking place or that begins tomorrow what uh, that that Stanford is behind Stanford is behind what what will be the focus of this conference well it claims to be a sort of gathering for transgender medical specialists so that includes you know sort of quote unquote gender identity experts and sort of psychotherapists who work with uh, gender confused people and, and children and also some actual transgender surgeons uh, who a lot of whom are associated with Sanford, who actually perform sex change surgeries and sort of irreversible drug-induced sex changes on people, including uh, children in the state. And it's a gathering of all those people together uh, in Sioux Falls. All right, so we, we've got Sanford that has been um, killing legislation that would protect children and, you know, kind of be against the whole transgender agenda. But what are we seeing in state government from a proactive standpoint of actually pushing this agenda? I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to, to try to, uh, to stop conservatives, but are they actually working within the ranks of government in South Dakota to advance this leftist agenda? Yes. And one thing that I found through a lot of digging through old sort of legislative hearing files is that Sanford lobbyists show up often literally in lab coats to uh, effectively lobby against a lot of these bills. They're on the record as testifying and lobbying against things like the ban on the chemical castration of children. Um, and they've lobbied against a variety of other social conservative bills, almost all of which have died. And on top of that, there are registered Sanford lobbyists who currently also serve as elected lawmakers in the state legislature. So they're wait, lobbying. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have paid individuals from Sanford that are legislators? Not just paid individuals, but paid lobbyists whose specific payment is to lobby the legislature. They are also elected lawmakers because it's a sort of part-time job in South Dakota, which to me seems like an enormous conflict of interest. Do, do they recuse themselves from voting on issues that are of interest to Sanford? Not only do they not recuse themselves, but they actually actively champion the efforts to kill a lot of these bills. That's incredible. I mean, you, you talk about a, an ethics issue. That's, I mean, that, that's essentially Sanford Health is buying up legislative seats uh, that they're putting their employees in. I mean, obviously, if you voted against your employer, your uh, full-time job could be gone. Exactly. And, and I looked into it, and the salaries they're making from Sanford Health, unsurprisingly, are four or five times oh, yeah. larger. I mean, I was a legislator. Yeah. They don't make a lot of money. It's a part-time job. Um, but th th that's I, I, I'm stunned, frankly. I, I, I am stunned that that is able to uh, to take place there in South Dakota and the people there would tolerate that. Right. Well, like I, like I said, I think South Dakotans are a very good, decent, you know, conservative, heavily Christian people. And I don't think they'd tolerate it if they were actually aware of exactly the extent to which it was going on. But, you know, South Dakotans, I think do not deserve the really milquetoast Republicans that often claim to represent them. And I hope they draw a bright red line in the sand about this stuff and hold them accountable. All right. Uh, Nate Hockman, thank you. Uh, 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 it's, it's shocking. 
I'm almost speechless with some of the stuff that you've shared with us. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. A great piece. I'm going to have a link on it at TonyPerkins.com. It's a lengthy piece, and I would encourage people to look at it. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, folks, there's a link at TonyPerkins.com, and you can read this uh, lengthy article at National Review written by Nate and um, I mean, it's well documented. And, and I and I guess I can speak. The reason I can validate is because I've actually experienced some of this uh, legislation that we have been involved in with legislators, conservative legislators to protect children and inexplicably. Uh, and, and a lot of it did go back to the office of the governor. All right. By the way, I got a note. There is an event tomorrow there in um, in South Dakota for those that would like to be a part of speaking out against this event. And uh, it's going to be in Sioux Falls. It's the Patriot Ripple Effect, PatriotRippleEffect.com. You can uh, go to that website. Uh, they're going to be going out early in the morning, 730 tomorrow morning. Uh, to have a presence there at this event. Wow. I, I, you got to be aware, folks. And just as we were talking about earlier with Dr. Boston, the, the media, you cannot trust them. They cover this stuff up. You got to have some reliable sources like Washington Watch. All right, be sure and sign that petition that we will be getting over to Walgreens and CVS pharmacies. Just ta- ta- text the word pharmacy. To 67742. That's pharmacy to 67742. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank you again for joining us on this edition of Washington Watch, and I will leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.